Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I auditioned for a movie once. I'll never forget this. I got called back several times. I'm 14 years old. Frank Perry, the famous director who did Mommy Dearest, and he looks at me and I'm 14. He says, well, you got the part. And I walked out of this casting session. My father had taken me there. He said, what happened? I got the part. I never heard from him again. So I had rude awakenings at very early on. You have to. I got, I got the ice water thrown at me really young. I got a part once on a TV show. I had one scene and I was cut out. So, you know, you have those early experiences and it teaches you the real world very quickly. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Very excited about today's show because I don't get to interview a lot of directors and this guy is one of the best. And I'm talking about Michael Pressman. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can do so at Barry Katz on Instagram or Twitter or you can go to BarryKatz.com and I will return your messages as soon as I can. Thank you so much for your support. Very, very grateful. So without further ado, let's get it started. Michael Pressman is a notable director and producer whose extensive creative career has been defined by his contributions to the television, film, and theater industries. A graduate of Manhattan's High School of Music and Art, Pressman went on to study drama at Carnegie Mellon University. He subsequently moved to Los Angeles where he received his BFA in film from the California Institute of the Arts. Pressman has produced and directed numerous network series, including multiple episodes episodes of the Emmy award-winning series Law and Order SVU and Blue Bloods, and more recently directed the final two hours of the Emmy-nominated TV miniseries Law and Order True Crime, The Menendez Murders, starring Edie Falco and Heather Graham. Upcoming projects for Pressman include directing season five of Chicago Med from Emmy award-winning executive producer Dick Wolf. 
Pressman directed his first feature film, The Great Texas Dynamite Chase, with fellow film school students Sean Daniels and David Kirkpatrick, now both successful producers. Pressman went on to direct a diverse slate of features, including the cult hit Boulevard Nights, which was one of 25 films selected for preservation by the Library of Congress. Those Lips, Those Eyes, starring Frank Langella, Dr. Detroit, starring Dan Aykroyd, and Some Kind of Hero, starring Richard Pryor, among others. Pressman has won two Emmy Awards for executive producing and showrunning the acclaimed series Picket Fences and earned both an Emmy nomination and a DGA nomination for his work on the successful hospital series Chicago Hope. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today. What an honor. Michael Pressman. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. I'm excited to meet you. I've never met you before. And when I do these podcasts, sometimes for the most part, believe it or not, I know almost everybody. Really? But you, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I know of you, well, of course. So we are, we'll let them all know, you and I are meeting for the first time. It's incredible. Yep. This is a magic trick that uh, may go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I have so many things to ask yeah, you, but sure. the first thing I wanted to ask you was, there's times as a director where you have a choice in a lot of the variables that happen on your set. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you have a choice of who your crew is going to be. Sometimes you have a choice in all of the actors. Sometimes you have a choice in none of them. Right. So I want you to share with our audience what it's like being in a situation where you are involved in everything from start to finish and those projects where you're not and you come in as a hired hand and everything is all there and you have to deal with a bunch of different variables that are not variables that are familiar to you and how do you make that Got successful it. knowing there could be all sorts of people that you might not even want there or you right. wouldn't have hired? Well, you know, uh, I'll, I'll put it another way. You're talking about, you know, being the guest or being the host. You know, it's like, is it is it your home that you're inviting this group into? And I mean home in the in a creative sense. You know, it's a project you've created. It's a, it's a script you've worked on or written yourself. And now you've got the financing and you're getting every specific person that you've ever dreamt of getting together and you do it. Or you are episodic director for hire. I've done both. Um, I've, it, it's, it's a balance in my life. And I've walked on a set where I've hired no one and maybe a couple of guest cast. And here I've got the stars and I'm about to start. Um, I'm going to give you a philosophical answer. Uh, You know, uh, there was once upon a time, you know, marriages were by matchmaker. You know, my grandparents were matchmakers from Russia. They, They were literally married by matchmaker they didn't have a choice kichu russian tradition i've got the girl i've got the young man for you now is she allowed to say can i see three choices and pick one yeah (laughs) you know i wasn't around at the time so i don't know exactly what happened the scandal of my family's history was that my grandmother held up the wedding for three days she she didn't want to get married to my grandfather um now, they were together for 65 years, and 
and it was an arranged marriage. And as it is in, I mean, I'm really going back to Fiddler on the Roof here as a, as a reference, but you know, that number, Tevya and Goldie were arranged marriage in the, in the musical. He has that song, funny, he says, do you love me? After, and she goes, what do you mean, do you love me? He goes, well, you know, after 25 years, you know, I'd like to know. And she says, well, I clean your clothes. I says, no, 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 I want to know, do you love me? And then she finally says at the end of the song, well, I suppose I do. And he says, and I suppose I love you too. My mother used to sometimes in passing, she'd just be at the table and she'd just be like, do you love me? <laughs> yeah. And believe it or not, you're going to crack up when I tell you this. It never, even though I've seen Fiddler on the Roof, you never made the I never made the connection oh. until sitting across from you and how much the memory that was of my life when my oh mother my used to God. always. And the next line is what he says. She, he says it to her and she goes, do I what? You know, um, so and I, I'm going to digress here for a second because I just came back from New That's York. That's the second choice of my name for my podcast besides industry standard. It was digression. digression. OK, so I just came back from New York where I saw the it's a big hit right now in new york the yiddish version of fiddler on the roof sung performed in yiddish and they have they have um uh what super titles up in the top so you can follow it but i want you to share with our audience the difference between hebrew and yiddish and who speaks yiddish and who speaks hebrew and where did it originate because i think this is important for our yeah, audience and and you're going to have to help me because i it first of all yiddish was a dialect that came actually from a german background german jews and it's a very very colorful language that's almost extinct um which has nothing to do with studying hebrew which is the chosen language of the israelis and and the jewish culture but the i i don't know how to describe it. it's two different languages you know uh gesund is yiddish you know god bless you uh um uh, there's phrases you've heard. I can't, I can't, they're not coming to me. Hock me a China. Yeah, you got it. You got Spinkle and Tuchus. <laughs> Tuchus? Tuchus, yeah. I just remember Dave Attell, my favorite joke when I was starting is he'd say, I'm Jewish, which means I'm the chosen people, or in high school gym class, the last chosen people. Right, <laughs> right. Forget gym for Jews. Um, so, so, you know, and then there was the Yiddish theater and... You know, uh, and so Sholem Aleichem was a, uh, a a famous writer from Russia who wrote in Yiddish, in the original language, and then it was translated. And then the musical Fiddler on the Roof is based on Sholem Aleichem's stories. And in that musical, and I'm that's that's actually become a universal story today now here's another yeah. thing that i did not know because in hebrew school we used to sing the song shalom aleichem yeah shalom aleichem interesting so that was about that guy right yes of course 
Who like, knew that I was going to Malek interview Malek Michael Malek. Pressman, the just famous director, and now I'm getting a crash course on Yiddish and Hebrew and my life. This is fantastic. Okay, we're going to go further back now. I'm going to jump off another point and get back to you because I know where that question was, but I'm, now I'll, I'll share with you because I don't know if you know this. As a child actor, I was a child actor, and I acted at the age of 16 in the world of Sholem Aleichem, with Herschel Bernardi, who had been in Fiddler on the Roof. I did I, not know that. Yes. Uh, so there's, and, fit, and the world of Shalom Aleichem was a play that was done in the 50s, 1950s off-Broadway. Um, and it was a big success. And Herschel uh, revived it in stock productions. And um, he was a neighbor of ours when I was growing up on the summer home of Fire Island where my parents had a home. And uh, so I auditioned and I got the part and I played his son in the world of Shalom Aleichem. So you're 16 years old, you're auditioning for this thing. Was this something you always wanted to do? You I always, always wanted to be an actor. So when you go in and auditioned, I know it's a long time ago, but do you remember how you felt coming out? Do you remember coming out and getting in the car? Listen, I auditioned for a movie once. I'll never forget this. I got called back several times. I'm 14 years old. The director, who shall be nameless, turns to me and says, well, he's no longer alive. Frank Perry, the famous director who did Mommy Dearest. And he looks at me and I'm 14. He says, well, you got the part. And I walked out of this casting session. My father had taken me there. He said, what happened? I got the part. I never heard from him again. So I had rude awakenings at very early on. I, I, you have to. I got, I got the ice water thrown at me really young. I got a part once on a TV show. I had one scene. And, we, and, and my mother, bless her heart, I wish she had never told all of New York to watch. And I was cut out. So, you know, you have those early experiences and it teaches you the real world very quickly. So I learned it, and I also learned it from my family. My father was a theater director. He was an acting teacher. He was a commie. He was blacklisted for 15 years. We lived through all that. Um, so the truth of the matter is, I didn't audition for the world of Sholem Aleichem. What had happened was, and oh God, you're pulling me back. Um, I went to an acting group at the YMHA with other kids I knew, and I was in, I played bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream in a kid's production. What's the YMHA? Young Men's Hebrew Association in New York. Like YMCA, YMHA. I never heard of oh that my before. God, we got to get you back to New York and get to Lexington and 92nd Street. It's famous. Um, well, I know the 92nd Street Y. y up, That's the, uh, called the YMHA. I did up, not know that. I've been to the theater there. Right. It's a great, yeah. So I was in the children's group. The director of this group was doing a production of A Thousand Clowns and called me and said, would you be in A Thousand Clowns? And I, I was 13. So I went to Florida when I left school for a month and I was in Thousand Clowns with Jack Carter playing Murray Burns and Dom DeLuise was in the play. So this was my first experience. The stage manager then was doing a play at Paramus Bergen Mall Shopping Center and I ended up in Anniversary Waltz. There's a payoff to the story. Hang in. Now Herschel, who's a neighbor, 
gets to do World of Shalom Aleichem at the Bergen Mall Shopping Center Theater, which is right outside of Manhattan. And he calls the head of the theater, this kid, did you remember him? And the head of the theater goes, yeah, sure, Michael Pressman, I remember him, anniversary waltz. So Herschel says, they remember you from the last play? You want to do this play? I go, sure. I mean, this was a, a, a blessed career. Fade out, fade in, 30 years later, I'm having dinner with Herschel Bernardi, who's now starring in uh, Arnie, that TV series. And I say, Herschel, remember the Bergen Mall shopping? He says, yeah, sure. I say, remember the guy who ran the theater? Yeah, Bob, Bob. I said, yeah, Bob. You know what Bob would do? Bob was home writing all the time. We never saw him. I said, it was Bob Ludlam. He said, who? I said, Robert Ludlam. I said, the Reinemann Exchange, born identity. That guy was right. He said, that's not possible. Herschel looks at me and says, it's not possible. I said, it cannot be the same person. I said, it is. Look at the picture. Look at the picture at the back of the book. It's the same guy. Can you believe it? He ran the Bergen Mall Shopping Center Theater, writing his books at home, struggling actor. I used to, you know, and uh, for 10 years he ran that theater. When I think about all the things that I've learned about the business from people, and what you just hammered home is just so important. First of all, you're a young actor. Presumably, you do great work. So presumably, you showed up early and stayed late. Right. Presumably, you weren't an asshole. Right. So the next production, when they need somebody who's a teenager, as they say, better to go with the person that you know right. than somebody you don't know. Right. And somebody you're familiar with, somebody you feel safe with. So you get the recommendation from the deity of the theater. Right. It's a lesson I learned. To, uh, we've covered two very important lessons. I learned there's nothing like uh, your reputation. And it's a business of hard knocks. The point of your question is I... I treat being uh, match made or chosen the same way. I go in on an episode and I embrace the team and I treat it like it's my own. It's no different, no different whether I was, I had a choice or didn't have a choice. That's the approach I take. And I think where that really works in directing television and especially the most recent was doing a lot of episodes of Law and Order SVU was I showed up that very first day and I embraced everybody and uh, I started giving notes to the actors and I never forget Mariska Hargaday coming over to me she says where have you been who, who are you and I said oh, I've been around and she said well you just directed that scene and you changed it and like people are reacting and and I, you gave me a note and all of a sudden like the scene started to come alive as if I chose her. You know, within three hours, the producer comes down and says, are you available for another episode? I said, you haven't even seen my footage yet. What, you know, it, whatever happened, I came in and said, this is my family. You come in and you add your spin and it's a freshness to it. And now she's like, wow. Oh. You add a different light yes. to the show than that other director did, and I like what you're doing. It's yes. not that I didn't like what the other guy was right. doing, but I like what you're doing. Yes. And we want you back. Yes. But we were talking about the arranged marriage thing. Right. Imagine if your grandmother was introduced to another guy, got to spend time with him with no 
repercussions. <laughs> no judgment. God, where have you been? Well, uh, you're doing you, things you a little just, differently you than just my husband broken did. Broken the code and the law of the uh, arranged marriage. Um, now you're talking about modern times and a society. That's. I'm not I hate to go back to fiddle on the roof, but that's the whole point. They break down the systems that these young daughters of his start to meet people they like, and uh, we can't live. In a world, we don't live in a world today of, of arranged marriages, but we do when it comes to television episodes. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. So, so you go on to the set now. I want to know how you handle this situation. You go on to a show that's had a director, let's say for a year. Let's say something happened in his life. He's got some personal things. He's got a contract. He's doing whatever he wants. He's got as many episodes right. as he wants, but he's got to take off like a month. And he's been there for two years. And you come in and there's one guy or girl who's an actor or actress who loved the other guy. Right. Loved the way the flow went. Loved right. the system. And for some reason... They violently can't stand the way you right. run the set. Right. And they let you know it in how their attitude is and how it is. What's your solution for those issues? Well, you know, my first impulse is bye-bye. My first impulse is I don't need that. I Meaning if you're not open, if, 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 the, if the actor is clearly going... Uh, we haven't worked together yet, but I don't, I, I, I want my other guy back. There's no win on that one. I don't see you as a quitter. Well, I don't, I don't quit. But what I'm saying is, is that I have to have that internally so that I can say, listen, I mean, the, the conversation, if it's really clearly, gee, I really like the way the other director did that. And, you know, if, if it comes to that as, as a director, and we always hear these stories and I've, 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 I've had them as well. Um, you know, the, the one that I, that's comes to my mind is the famous one with Stanley Kubrick and George C. Scott, who really in Dr. Strangelove thought that Kubrick really didn't know what he was doing and, uh, made him be a broad performance and everything. And I heard on a documentary that what Kubrick did was he set up a chess game between them on the set between lighting setups because Scott, you know, uh, was a great chess player he thought and uh cooper beat the pants off <laughs> and gained respect through just beating him in chess um you know you want to try to gain respect so what's your advice for people who or any director listening well i'm gonna go to w one of the most challenging experiences i ever had awesome which was directing richard pryor because because this goes back to the forced marriage we were we were brought together we were forced on each other i had a overall deal at paramount pictures at the age of 30 i had made the bad news bears sequel which was a big hit for them and they gave me a three picture deal which meant nothing by the way it, it was like i mean i'm 26 the three picture deal was we'll we'll, we'll hopefully make another movie with you so i'm doing nothing 
and my deal is about up and I want to go do something and I'm, I'm almost broke and I go into Don Simpson's office. Simpson Bruckheimer, who at the time was head of production at Paramount. He was like 32 and a madman, absolute madman. And he could, could you tell he was using all sorts of substances back then when you're meeting with him? Yes. In fact, I was close to his assistant and she'd say, he's uh, just awakened from his nap. He's coherent. Come on in. Can you believe it? 1980. Wow. And, I, and, and Don and I had a good relationship and I, I liked him. He was a madman. Uh, he wants to see me. Comes in. He says, okay, uh, look, I, 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 uh, I fucked up. Um, I have a deal. We have an overall deal with Richard Pryor. We have to pay him a million dollars and, and we haven't been able to get him to commit to a movie. Here's a script. Go see him. <laughs> Hawaii. Go to Hawaii to yes. see him. What's he doing in Hawaii? That's where he lives. He's just burned up. He's recovered. And, uh, it's some kind of hero. And, uh, he, if someone of his group read it and he wants to do it and I'm going to put a writer together and get Howard Koch senior and you guys can fly to Hawaii and here's the date to start shooting and I'm 30 years old and I'm wait just, the date to start shooting oh, yeah, is how like, far in advance uh, of the- we started in March and this was December a rough draft had to be completely rewritten Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a -a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody. And I wanted to thank some of the sponsors on the podcast, starting with AquaTrue. If you haven't bought this countertop water purification system, you have to do so. It's incredible. It turns tap water into your favorite bottled water instantly. It saves you thousands and thousands of dollars. It gets rid of all those plastic bottles that you have in your trash. Thousands and thousands of listeners have bought these. Everybody loves it. Not one complaint. It's incredible. I haven't bought a bottle of water in years since I got this, and you won't either. And if you go right now to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, you'll immediately get a $100 discount, a $100 discount, and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. I guarantee it. Lastly, the air doctor. I don't know what the air inside your house is like, but the air inside my house 
it feels heavy at times before I got this product. And now it got rid of all the bad air in my house, the dust, the pet hair, the pollen. It just gets rid of all the contaminants circulating through your home. And for me, when I got this product, it was amazing the difference that I found in the air in my house. And it's normally $600. And you can check Amazon right now and you'll see. But for all of you listening today, I can offer you $300 off. $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and type in the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry, and save $300 and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. Before you go into the story, What's the incentive for Richard Pryor to do the movie? He's going to get the million dollars anyway. He hasn't worked in a year and a half. Uh, this man needs to work psychologically. And uh, he, uh, uh, he had representation, and, and they didn't want to stick it to them. You know, it was like, this, was, this would be good for him. But the script was a drama. And we had to inject comedy into it. But it was basically a dramatic film. I think if he were alive, he would say he was a better dramatic actor than a comedic actor. He, here's what Richard would have said if he were alive today. I so wanted to be appreciated as a serious actor. No one, no one appreciated me. The, the insecurity was so deep and we got really close. And this has got to be in the book someday. So I'm now sharing with you stuff that I haven't shared publicly but he was and people know this but but the part that was really there was a deep deep insecurity so we fly to hawaii and we meet with him at his house to discuss the script are you nervous before you incredibly walk incredibly nervous richard Pryor. i mean i i mean this we are so different as night and day i'm a short jewish kid from new york uh, this man has seen the world. I'm I'm just going through my f first marital separation. I, I don't know what I'm doing there. Arranged marriage? Yeah, no, no, it wasn't arranged. It was just a mistake. But you're a great lady. If she ever hears this, she was a great lady. Um, the meeting lasts 15 minutes. Richard gets up and walks out like he's going to go to the bathroom, but he doesn't return. We've flown to Hawaii. We've, it took us a day to get there. Do you remember what was said before? Like when he said, I have to go to the bathroom. Did you think like we said something wrong? We before? didn't know just then. It was kind of like, oh, you know, I'll be, I'll, I'll be, I'll be right back. Okay. So One he goes to the bathroom. He doesn't come back. Doesn't come back. Girl, the, 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 the lady or girlfriend or I don't, Debbie, I don't care who. Jennifer? Was. No. Jennifer was later. Jennifer was involved. This is, this is, I'm getting to the story. Okay. So Debbie, I think comes back. Uh, I'll take you home. Gets into her car and she drives us back to the hotel. And she says, boy, that she goes, that didn't go very well. And we're all sitting there going, Oh my God. So it's like, it's over, right? It's over. And all I remember now is I went, I got to meet with Richard alone, guys. I said it to Howard and, and the writer. And, and Richard... That was Howard... Koch. Howard Koch, and the writer was who? Robert Boris. 
And so you felt that they said something that bothered him. I felt like he and I didn't get a chance to talk and have a connection. Now, Koch was senior to you. Yes. How do you say that to a guy to say, hey, listen, I want to work with him alone? Uh, this project's about to fall apart. We're, we're, we're done, right? Richard just asked us to leave. Uh, if there's anything, and that's not about any of you guys, but me as director, I, I got to have a connection with the guy. Did the person who drove you home give you that tip off? No, it was totally my idea. I did speak to my agent in L.A., and he said, uh, what happened? I said, well, nothing. Richard, I hardly and I spoke. And I said, well, you know what? Maybe I got to talk to him alone. I think I had that idea on the phone. So we call back. Richard shows up at the hotel. And I think Debbie's in the car now. And he's five minutes from the hotel, his house. And I just start. I say to him, you know, this the last time I was here in Hawaii was a honeymoon when I was 26. And now I'm going through this divorce. And he looks at me and says, I'm going to drop you off, he says to Debbie. Drops Debbie off. We go to a, a dock that his favorite dock. I tell him, you know, this is really hard for me because of my, I'm, I'm getting divorced and this. And he looks at me and he goes, what, what do you do if you're in love with two women at the same time? I, he said, I love her. I love Jennifer. I don't know what to do. I said, well, I don't know. I don't know what you, I mean, I've never been in that situation, Richard. We proceeded to talk for an hour about relationships, about being in love. And then he says, do you want to make this movie with me? And I went, why did I come here? He says, you really want, do we want to make a series? I said, yes, I want to make a dramatic film with you. You think I can do it? I think we can do it together. And it was like these moments back and forth. And it was like, Okay. Okay. I said, look, if you don't want to do it, if you don't want to work with me, that's fine. But I want to work with you. And he said, I want to work. I want to work with you. Did that's you find out what was said in the meeting that turned him off? No, never asked. My sense was everyone was coming on too strong. That he felt psychologically and emotionally cornered. He felt cornered. We flew out 3,000 miles or wherever it was. We flew out there. Hey, we're going to sell this to you. We're going to do it. And he's going, leave me all alone. But now I sit there with an hour. I never brought up the movie. But that's the smartest thing anyone can ever do. And I think that's one of the things in our business that people lose sight of. Yeah. People think that, okay, I have to get and talk about things right away. Like even with this podcast, as crazy as it sounds, if I don't know somebody and I meet them for the first right. time, I never mentioned the podcast interview. Right. right. I just meet them, get to know them a right. little bit and then go on. I remember something else he said, and boy, are you bringing stuff back? He said, do I have to be funny? And I said, no. He said, well, then what? I said, it's a serious role. I said, there may be humor in it, but let's work on the seriousness of the role. So then I'm going to jump to a meeting right before shooting. This was, this was wild. He gets a new draft, and Robert Boris, bless his heart, has written jokes in the first couple of pages of, of him being captured by the Vietnamese in, in, in the war. And the word comes back as Richard's quitting the movie before we start shooting. 
And this was like the journey with him. He was, he was very fragile. And we went to his hotel. And Howard Koch Sr. is now like, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. This is crazy. Richard's crazy. And we get there and he goes, I'm not doing this movie. And um, everyone's stumped. And I go, look, Richard. Okay, so you're not doing the movie. I'll, let's just put that over here for a second. Is there something in the script that if we were to find another actor that you would say, you got to change this? And he went, well, that opening line, and that's really stupid. And I said, well, it's out. Consider that out. That We don't need that. Do Bob, Bob, do we need that? No, we don't need that line. We're, so we go through the script. We go through a few pages. And then he starts to smile and says, okay, I'll, I'll do the movie. I'll do it. And, you know, that was the ride with him. Um, but we had we had the most amazing experience. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. What a great, great technique that is to say to an artist. Did you just channel that through you or have you done that channeled. before? It was no, never done it before. Every, you know what, here's the thing. You're improvising as a director all your life. I, I had a moment with Richard, we have, now it's coming back, we had an audition of women to play his wife and he auditioned with them. I mean, he was like, I said, serious actor, you come in and audition. He's, he, he read with them. And after the auditions, and they were terrific, and they were, he looked at me and Bob Boris, we were the only ones in the room, and he said, I gotta ask you honestly, look at me. If I didn't have the part, and I was auditioning, would I get the role? And I was like, oh my God, Richard, we're not here to audition you. You were phenomenal. I'm looking at the actress trying to figure out who's the best match. Never a moment did I question whether you are this character or not. True serum in your veins. Yeah. You're the director from the very beginning, no actors attached. Would he have gotten the role? Yes, without a question. The movie only made sense with him, for me. He was, the, in fact, you know, you go back to the reviews and what was interesting is that the movie 
was not a completely successful film, actually somewhat disappointing to some of the prior fans. But the reviews for him were unbelievable. I mean, he was he was amazing in the film. He was amazing in the film. And, and he did a dramatic role. And um, uh, he was incredible. And I went to see him about a year later, and he was getting ready to do the toy with Richard Donner. And Richard was sick at the house, and I went over to see him. And he Was the toy with Gleason? Yes. And he said, I'm so upset. I said, what's the matter? He said, well, Dick Donner said, I, I'll run two and three cameras on you. You don't have to worry about doing it again. Because my whole thing to him was about, you, you're an actor. You can do this. You can do a second take. You can do a third take. It's all about what's the scene about. I mean, I was like, he and I were like, you know, flying high on this stuff. And he said, but now the director said, he's, I only have to do it once and he's got several cameras. Does he think I can't do it? I said, no, no, Richard, he, he, he thinks that's what you want to hear. What's the most takes you gave him? Boy, I think we got lost in a scene once. We went like six or seven times and, and something wasn't clicking. And I, I, it took us time to figure it out. What's the most insightful note you ever gave him as an actor where he really thought about it and was like, that was a real special note? I, uh, I'm, I'm blank on that one because it was such an organic process that I can't remember the one moment that, that was a light bulb for him. He certainly taught me a lot. Tell our audience three things he taught you. He taught me about surprise. That if something is not what you thought it was going to be and you haven't planned it, and all of a sudden it starts to happen, trust it and go with it. Uh, second one was really don't be afraid to make a fool of yourself. There's stuff on the editing room floor that was brilliant, that did not work, that was foolish, that was crazy, and I let him go, and he did it. And I watched it, and I was like, oh my God. But there's one story in them filming that uh, I'll never forget, which is he comes back from Vietnam and he hasn't seen his wife in five years, and she lets him know that uh, they lost the business, uh, she fell in love with another man, and his mother's had a stroke. And the scene, we rehearsed it for like an hour and it was just flat as can be and it didn't work. And I was a little worried. I didn't know what to do. The actress, bless her heart, goes from makeup and has changed her wardrobe and her hairstyle completely from the exterior. And I'm going, what did you do? She said, well, it's, I haven't seen him in five years. I wanted to look good. And I said, Lynn, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, you've just... I got to go back to the hairstyle you had. So I go into Richard's trailer and I go, you're not going to believe this. Lynn changed her hairstyle. He proceeds to break up laughing. And I said, we're going to be about another hour, hour and a half waiting. He said, that's fine. He said, he said, she, Lana Turner. He said, she thinks she's Lana Turner. And he starts to laugh. We get on the set. Unrehearsed. We start to do the scene. And as she starts to explain what's happened, he starts to laugh. He starts to laugh like, I can't believe what you're telling me. But at the same time, he's laughing at the actress, but it's also in character. And then he proceeds to cry with laughter. It is so funny. 
He has figured out how to make this scene work. It is the only time in my career of 30, 40 years of directing that I had to call action and leave the set because I couldn't control myself. I called action. I walked away. I couldn't watch it. He had me. And then at the end of the day, I went to him and I said, I said, I have to apologize. I said, I couldn't, I couldn't watch. It was you, 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 whatever you did, however you got it, it was so insane and amazing. And he looked at me and said, that's okay. I liked it. And how often did you see him after that or you never did? I did. We stayed in touch uh, and then it drifted away. I, I went to, uh, I went to dinner. He invited me to dinner once. I had the experience of being one of the first people to go with him to the comedy store when he tried out uh, the Sunset Live. And we, I was at dinner at his house, and he's incredibly unpredictable. And um, he got up from dinner and said, uh, let's go to the comedy store. And Jennifer was there, and she went, Richard hasn't been there in months. He, and he tried out the routine for the first time. And I saw it. When he's driving over there, one of the things that a lot of people don't know, because a lot of people, when they're driving to a gig, and I'm sure somebody was driving him at the time, he wasn't driving. I remember him driving. You do. His role. So you're around him. <laughs> yeah. Before he goes on. I imagine you're backstage yes. before he goes on. Yes. This is something a lot of our audience doesn't know, but you saw him before he went on, and he's about to go on as a guest and do an hour in the middle of a show. I think he did 15 minutes. All right, let's say 15, 15 minutes. minutes. Did he have notes or anything? Nothing. Nothing. I had been working privately and it, the place went nuts. And I went out front, they walked me out front, I got a table or sat there. And ladies and gentlemen, surprise guest Richard Pryor, I, the place went crazy. I mean, that's quite a surprise guest. I'll never forget it. He showed up modest, like, you know, the, that, that's the way he was, you know, I mean, but, but he was the superstar and he just, you know, the minute he showed up, they like, they put up surprise guests and twos, you know. So he was more, if I could use a boxing reference, he was more the persona offstage of Joe Frazier than Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Though, you know, he became close to Muhammad. I met Muhammad Ali at Richard Pryor's house. In, in their later years, there was a party, and that was pretty wild. Pretty wild, if there's a moment, to see the two of them together. What was that like? It was a little out of body, you know? I didn't expect... It was a birthday party that I got invited to, and I didn't know who was going to show up. <laughs> and then Muhammad Ali walked in. But they both were sick at the time. They both had Parkinson's. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Aquatrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best 
water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. Nothing is impossible. Pursue a dream. Get practical. You have no idea what one thing will lead to another. Be flexible. Adjust. And if you can go through life pursuing the things you love, it will come back in spades. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.